inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, I have finished up a very busy fall travel season. I had an epic trip to Ireland for riding clinics over there. Plus, I did three vacation clinics at the renowned Sea Lazy U Ranch in the Colorado Rockies. And I made a quick trip to Murfreesboro, Tennessee for the annual CHA conference. That's the Certified Horsemanship Association. I'm proud to be their international spokesperson. While I was there, I got caught up with my nephew. He's a musician in Nashville. We had a nice lunch together. And uh, it was a short trip, but it was a great one because I got to see a lot of old friends that are in the horse business. These are people I've known for decades. And um, now I'm back at home here in the southern mountains of Colorado. Winter is approaching fast. We've already had single-digit temperatures, and we've already retreated to riding indoors. Uh, But I'm enjoying a slower pace of being at home and getting reacquainted with my horse, my little mare, Annie. We've been riding a lot indoors, as I said, and so that brings with it a certain amount of monotony and boredom to our riding. So, And um, we we are in a pretty harsh winter climate here, so it means we're going to be riding inside for almost every day for the whole winter. Um, so both horse and rider do get bored with that kind of monotony. So I like to mix it up a little bit when I'm riding inside. I've been riding bareback a lot. Sometimes I ride without the bridle as well. Some days we set up some interesting trail obstacles like log drags or walking over tarps, or we'll set up some ground poles for lope overs or some log jams, whatever. We also have a cutting machine, so we will occasionally work the horses on the flag and just enough to keep their interest peaked and um, just to mix things up a little bit. And occasionally, I pull out the garacha pole. Garacha is a discipline that Annie is just perfect for since she's short. She's very compact and athletic. She can stop and turn on a dime. Garocha, if you're not familiar with it, is a very elegant discipline that originated from South America, and it was originated as a way to uh, move bulls from horseback using a long pole. And it's a lot of fun, and it's something that keeps you busy riding indoors. Uh, I think Annie likes it. She, She does well when we do it. And um, I I think she likes it because when I'm focused on handling and managing the garrocha pole, my focus comes off of her and onto the pole, and that makes it a little bit easier for her. So if you're curious about it, just Google garrocha, and you'll, um, I'm sure, find some YouTube videos you can watch, and, and you'll understand what I mean. Shortly in December, Rich and I are going to head to Fort Worth, Texas during the National Cutting Horse Futurities. It's a fun time to go to Fort Worth. We're going just for a little vacation getaway. 
We will be visiting a lot of friends there. Our good friend runs the Longhorn Herd in downtown Fort Worth every day. She's the herd boss there. So it's always fun to visit Kristen. Uh, We like to hang out in old Fort Worth and go shopping and see the cool stuff down there. Plus, we'll get to watch a lot of amazing young cutting horses. And first and foremost, our favorite pastime will be shopping for horses. They sell hundreds and hundreds of quarter horses during the cutting horse futurities. I mean, maybe more than a thousand. These are intensely bred horses, bred for cutting and cow horse disciplines. Most of them are young horses. I seriously doubt we'll actually buy anything, but we sure like looking. We like window shopping and uh, it's, it's going to be Rich's birthday and that's what he wanted to do for his birthday. So we're going to have a little fun horse trip and who knows, maybe I'll find my dream colt. I haven't given up hope yet, but uh, unfortunately, usually my dream colts end up selling for a lot more money than I have in my bank account. So but, but we, we have fun looking. I, I've actually been studying the catalogs pretty hard. I've already identified about 50 colts I'd like to take a serious look at. And, um, and then we'll watch the sales and watch the excitement of that. So it's going to be fun. After that, I'm headed to Florida to visit my family and spend some time at the beach and do a little bit of saltwater boating. So a week of warm weather will be just right for me. It'll help me come home to face the long, cold winter here in the Colorado mountains. But soon it will be ski season, and I'll be excited to get up out on the mountain for a little change of pace there, too. My 2023 schedule is shaping up nicely. I'll be releasing my schedule at the end of December have a full menu of options with clinics, horse fairs, riding vacations, and more. For details on my event schedule, please visit juliegoodnight.com events. And to get the latest updates from me, be sure to sign up for my newsletter at juliegoodnight.com news. And while you're there, check out my online training resources, my membership programs, and personalized coaching programs. Plus, find innovative grooming tools, tack, bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Julie Goodnight. In this episode of my podcast, we'll talk about professional horse training for you and your horse. I'll cover why you might need a trainer and how you should expect to benefit from it. Then I'll get deep into the weeds on how to find the right trainer for your horse, what type of trainer you should look for, and how to know if you've found the right match, and how much time and money this is going to cost you. Finally, I'll share some caveats about horse training for so-called problem horses and how training might disguise a horse's true temperament. Plus, in the What the Hey Q&A segment at the end of this show, I'll answer questions from listeners about a cold backed horse that requires a long warm up and also a horse that rushes into the canter when cued to trot. First, you might ask yourself, why do I need a horse trainer? There's a lot of different reasons you might send a horse to a trainer not the least of which is that you have an untrained horse. So maybe you have a young green horse that just 
doesn't know anything, has never been ridden, never been saddled. Maybe you have adopted a horse that's never had any training. Maybe you've adopted a Mustang from BLM that's been rounded up and never really been handled. So that's a totally untrained horse that has a lot to learn. So that is the most obvious reason why somebody might send a horse to a horse trainer. In my blog for this month, I talk in depth about what specifics an untrained or green horse needs to learn, starting with, of course, ground manners and safe handling skills and on up through the riding process. Another reason you might send a horse to a horse trainer is for finish training. So just to delineate those two things, when we look at basic training, it's it's going to be pretty much the same type of training for all horses, no matter how you end up riding them, whether you ride English or Western, or you're going to the show ring, or just developing a pleasure horse. Basic training is going to be the same for all those types of horses. Let's, let's think of it rather uh, like kindergarten. But as a horse advances in this training, and really fairly early on in a horse's training, we want to start getting specific towards a certain discipline. So that's where we might start doing things slightly differently with an English horse than a Western horse, a horse that was going to a rope or work cattle versus a horse that was going to jump or do dressage. We would start going in a more discipline specific area, which we think of as finished training. And you know, when finished training begins, uh, it, it can happen pretty early on. I would say uh, within 60 or 90 days of riding a horse, we might start thinking uh, more about uh, the specific discipline it's going to be going into. Another reason you might need a trainer is simply to have access to adequate training resources. Not everybody has arenas and indoor arenas and round pens and stalls and trails and cattle and jumps. So there are a lot of resources, uh, physical resources that we might need in the process of training a horse that you just simply don't have access to without sending a horse to a trainer. For instance, I have on occasion sent one of my young horses to a cutting horse trainer because they have herds of cattle and they work cattle every day. And that's something that's easy for them to do. It's a specialty and they're experts at it. Whereas I don't have cattle at my place and I'm certainly not an expert at starting a, a young horse on cattle. So there's that. And then another area that's an obvious one when people think about sending a horse to a trainer is in order to address issues in a horse's training. And often we refer to this as problem horse training, although as most of us know, it's usually not the horse that's the problem. Um, I'm going to talk about this more in, later in this podcast but let's say you have a horse that's um, started excessively spooking. Maybe he's bolting, bucking, refusing, rearing. Maybe the horse is anxious and high-headed. Um, these are common issues that uh, sometimes arise in riding horses. And um, there are often reasons why people think about sending a horse to a professional trainer. 
Now, let me tell you from the horse trainer's point of view, some so-called problems, some of these issues, as I just listed them, are really quite easy to fix because they're actually being caused by the rider or caused by, you know, inadequate use of tack or, you know, asking something unreasonable of the horse. And sometimes problems are caused by horses being handled inappropriately. And a lot of those things are really easy fixes, but sometimes they're really hard and sometimes they're really dangerous because the horse uh, is presenting with a lot of, of challenging behavior. Also, it's rarely enough to just fix the horse. Uh, we have to address the underlying cause of what brought the horse's training down to this point. And that's where things can get very difficult and complicated. So this is definitely a specialty area of training and um, one we want to think a little bit more about. And a final area I can think of uh, reasons why someone might be considering sending a horse to a professional trainer is simply this. Um, not everyone, in fact, most horse owners do not have the time the resources, the skill level, and the commitment to consistency that you're going to get from a horse trainer. When you send a horse to a professional trainer, the presumption is that the horse is going to be handled and ridden for a long time every day. They're going to have expert handling. They're going to come into a regimented routine they're going to be exercised and ridden pretty hard, um, get a lot of grooming, get a lot of time standing tied, and they're going to get a, a routine um, and a time commitment that they're not going to get anywhere else uh, unless you do send them to a professional trainer. So we can um, you know, think about it in that way as well. Which, you know, sort of begs the question, what can I expect from a horse trainer? Well, as I said, if you're sending a green horse for basic training, I would expect my horse to learn excellent ground manners. I would expect him, uh, you know, and by excellent ground manners, I mean things like he leads well, he ties well, he stands quietly. You can groom him, you can wash him, you can pick up his feet, you can um, do just about anything with him from the ground. He's desensitized to a lot of scary things like water hoses, clippers, um, uh, handling by different people, going to different places. He learns riding skills. Um, most importantly, in basic training, I want that horse to learn to have a willing attitude, and I want that horse to get um, some miles under the saddle. In my blog this month, I talk again about more specific skills that I want an untrained horse to learn. But once we get basic training out of the way, and, and hopefully that happens in you know just a few months, then we start focusing more on discipline-specific skills. And when we start thinking about looking for a horse trainer, um, this is where we're going to have to really, uh, when, when we start looking at more in terms of finished training and discipline-specific training, uh, we're talking about beyond the basics here, um, we're talking about training that may drag on over several years. In other words, you may not 
put that horse in training for 12 months of the year, uh, but that horse might go into training for four to six months, then take a break, then go back. Um, so it's, it's more of a long-term endeavor uh, that we're thinking about there. And, and then beyond the discipline-specific training and the finished training comes um, competitive horses. And of course, training to an elite level of competition, this is an even longer-term commitment. Um, often involves working with the rider as well, coaching the rider as well. Often involves the trainer actually competing on the horse. And for obvious reasons, the cost and, and time commitment are going to be much higher in that endeavor. When it comes to dealing with horses with training issues, this is probably going to be one of the most challenging areas in order to find a trainer for a lot of reasons. One is, obviously, trainers got into the business because they loved riding and training horses, and often that involves competing. And if you're dealing with a high-level trainer that's competing and training high-level horses, they have a choice of the horses they take in training, and they generally are not going to want to be diverted um, by horses that don't fit their competitive goals. Also, training problem horses, let's face it, it's more dangerous. You're going to end up with some horses that have very um, challenging behaviors. I know, like most horse trainers that have taken these types of horses, the owners are never honest with you. There's always missing information that um, could result in you being at a higher risk. So trainers get burned on these kinds of horses. So there's fewer and fewer trainers that want to take horses with issues. But there are some trainers out there that actually specialize in this kind of thing. And, um, and, you, and it would be great. And if you find a good one, let me know, uh, because I could send a lot of business their way. But um, another problem, and I've mentioned this already, and I'm going to talk about it now, and we'll talk about it again before I'm finished here today, but there's a reason why that horse's training has regressed. There's a reason why uh, when problems occur in a horse that was previously working well, um, when that horse regresses in its training and or becomes um, dramatic in their behavior or aggressive in their behavior, Generally, there's a problem beyond just the horse's training, and often that's a problem that is instigated by the rider or a previous rider, and these are complicated issues to address, and they're, they're complicated issues to resolve. So dealing, if, you're, or if your horse just has basic obedience problems because you've let them get away with too much stuff, those are quick and easy fixes, but serious dramatic and dangerous behavior. Trainers that specialize in those types of horses are few and far between uh, because it's a scary kind of business to be in. So then, you know, that really begs the next question, which is, how do I go about finding a horse trainer? Well, I, I wish I could give you some magic words of wisdom or a resource of unlimited horse trainers in your area, but that is just not the case. It's a profession that fewer and fewer people are going into. The land values and real estate development 
have driven horse properties farther and farther and farther away from the cities and made it tougher and tougher for horse trainers to make a living. So at best, good horse trainers are few and far between. So you're going to be beating the bushes. The best way to find a good horse trainer is via word of mouth. Talk to every horse owner you know of. Ask if they sent a horse to a trainer, if they know any trainers, if they can recommend trainers. Word of mouth seems to be the most reliable and the most prolific method of finding horse trainers. And it's a good one because uh, you'll also be getting some sort of reference or vouching at, at the same time. Often, the larger breed associations will have a list of trainers that work with that breed. For instance, the AQHA has the Professional Horsemen's Association. I'm a member of that. There are some organizations that do have trainers in their midst. For instance, the Certified Horsemanship Association. We certify riding instructors. We certify barn managers, therapeutic horsemanship people, vaulting, driving, trail guides, packing. We certify a lot of different aspects of teaching riding, trail riding, and the like, but we do not certify horse trainers. However, that doesn't mean you couldn't find a lot of horse trainers in the roles. So you can go to cha.horse and look at the directory of riding instructors and kind of hunt around for someone in your area. If, if nothing else, those riding instructors ought to know about horse trainers in your area. It's not likely that you'll find a horse trainer that has any type of certification. It's not even likely, to be honest, you'll find a horse trainer that has a college degree in that particular genre. It's possible. It's just not probable. It's just not a requirement. Um, You may run across some individuals who, who carry what I call a name brand certification in horse training. In other words, some other horse trainer has certified them to use their methods. I would just be a little wary of name brand certification because generally if, if a horse trainer is skilled and talented at what they do, they don't need to use someone else's name in their promotion. Um, their name is enough and they want to establish their own name. So when somebody just, you know, is advertising someone else's name, I'd be a, le- a little bit leery of that. So another thing to consider when you're looking for a horse trainer, and I'll talk more about this in a minute, but there's going to be a real division along the lines of competition versus pleasure riding. If you're going into any kind of competitive riding, the trainers in that area are generally singularly focused on competition. Usually it's a specific competition, and unless you fit into that mold, it's probably not going to be a trainer that you want. And if that is what you're looking for, you want to find um, somebody that's really good at what they do. If you are looking for basic training in your horse, 
that you're just using for pleasure riding. Maybe you do a little bit of trail riding. Maybe you do a little bit of arena riding. Maybe you like to play around at clinics and, and schooling shows or go to, you know, trail competitions, that kind of stuff. Then you're looking more at a pleasure horse trainer. You might find you have more options there. And uh, it's going to be a, a totally different type of atmosphere there with that type of program. So you'll want to think about which avenue you're headed down there. And uh, probably it's going to be one way or the other. Before you decide on a horse trainer, I think beyond just word of mouth, getting as much personal feedback and references as you can, I think it's important to make an on-site visit. What I would be particularly looking for is uh, I want to look at the physical site, the facility itself, the barns, the arena, the fencing, the footing, the bedding, how clean it is, how orderly everything is. I'm not looking for fancy. I'm looking for functional and safe. I'm looking for professionalism. Um, That means that um, things are pretty tidy, orderly, clean. I want to observe all the horses on the property, particularly the ones that are actively in training. Do they look bright and healthy and happy? Or do they look dull and stressed and uh, rode hard and put up wet? Are they groomed or are they in their stalls dirty? Do they look like they have healthy hair coats? I'm going to take a peek in the feed room, take a peek at the hay, see what it looks like. And then I want to try to get a feel for the work schedule that goes on in that barn every day. Um, who are the people that are working there? What are they like? Most horse trainers are going to start working horses early in the morning and kind of work hard and solid, putting the horses through a bunch of different routines uh, throughout the day. Um, maybe they're done riding by lunch. Maybe not. Maybe they got more horses after lunch. Kind of depends. Um, but I want to try to get an idea of the work schedule and how things flow, how solid a routine is there. Does everybody work well together and communicate well? Those would all be uh, really, really good signs to see. Now, let's say you've done your research and you've sort of gotten references on a few different trainers and you're scouting them out. You may be traveling, by the way, unless you live in a really horse-centric area, there might not be that many horse trainers. You might be traveling two, three hours to check out these different trainers or more in some instances if you're looking for, uh, let's say, a, a more rare kind of discipline or something. So when it comes down to evaluating the choices that you've researched, now we're going to get a little bit deeper into the way things work. The first thing I think you need to ask yourself is this. Am I going to fit into the trainer's program or is the trainer going to fit my program? So as I said before, if you're looking at a trainer who specifically trains for a competition of some sort and they have that singular focus, you're going to have to fit into their program. They're not going to step outside their normal competitive routine. There may actually be some kind of screening process before you're accepted uh, as a horse in training or as a rider in training. 
because they have limited spaces available and they want to fill them obviously with the most talented horses and and the best clients so um in the in that type of case you fit into their program that's just the way it's going to work and that's the way it is unless you can afford your very own private trainer um that's the way that's going to work however if you are dealing with a trainer that primarily works with pleasure horses recreational horses with horses of various breeds various disciplines um, then hopefully that'll be a situation where the trainer actually says to you what is it that you want what are your goals how can i help you get there with your horse so that's a great um, situation to be in and those are two distinctly different avenues and you should sort of be able to discern that about a trainer before you get too far into it also whether it's a competitive trainer or a pleasure horse trainer, they probably have somewhat of a specialty. Um, maybe they're really good at starting colts. Maybe this dressage trainer is really good at entry level horses or really good at high level horses, whatever. Find out what that trainer's specialty is. And um, maybe your horse fits that specialty. Maybe it doesn't, but it's it's a good thing to know. And, and it might be something that's enlightening about this particular trainer. Another thing I would want to look at is, does the trainer teach riding lessons as well? And um, at this point, you need to really start doing some introspection and maybe get some outside advice as to how much of this problem you're having with the horse is your problem and how much of it is the horse's problem. Because you can spend a lot of money on a horse trainer and it won't fix the problem if the problem is in fact you. So we need to address that at some point. And as you are trying to find the right trainer, that's an important part of that equation too. Not all trainers relish the opportunity to teach riding lessons and some will flat out say, nope, that's not what I do. I train horses. You're going to have to go to somebody else to become a better rider. Um, so it may be worth it if, if it's a really good horse trainer, um, you might be able to find a riding instructor to help you just as easily. So that's something to think about. I do think references matter. I think the individual horse trainer's reputation matters a lot. Successful horse trainers generally are gonna have a very good reputation. Um, and their reputation matters a lot to them. So you're um, going with a professional who's established and has worked hard to make a name for themselves. And um, that reputation matters to them. And, and that just means that they're going to be very committed to their work. They're going to be very committed to making sure their customers are happy. So I, I think that's an important consideration. When you go and meet the trainer, you will ask if it's all right if I watch you work a horse or two. I'd love to you know, see how you train. And um, hopefully you'll have a chance to chat with the trainer about your horse, about what they might be able to do for you, and about when they might have an opening for your horse. And during all of this conversation, um, or let's say once you walk away from that conversation, 
I want you to pay attention to how you feel about that person. Was there some personal chemistry there? Did you like the person? Did you feel safe around them? Did you feel comfortable around them? Did they make you laugh? Or, you know, did they creep you out? Or did they make you worry? Or did they leave more questions in your mind? Trust your gut feeling on this. I think it's very important that you have some kind of personal chemistry with the trainer. There's going to be some sort of relationship between you and the trainer and the horse. And uh, in, in a perfect world, uh, you would be sending your horse to a professional horse trainer who was someone that you really admired, that you really felt comfortable with their ethics and their beliefs and their methods of training. Another question you want to always ask is whether or not the trainer allows or encourages owners to come and watch the horses being trained. Now, not all trainers like it or allow it. And there's really, I I can't say there's anything wrong with that because for some trainers, it would just be too disruptive and they perhaps don't have enough time in their schedule for it. So they might prefer to have just, you know, kind of more strict visitation rules. And I wouldn't, I would definitely not hold that against a trainer. Their job is tough. They're not always good people, people. (laughs) They don't always have good people skills, um, but they have good horse training skills. And that's why you're sending them there. So it's not, it's definitely not a deal breaker, Uh, But if they do allow owners to come and watch, I would encourage you to go, you know, at least once a week and and really try to follow the progress that your horse is making. If you just drop off the horse one day and pick it up four months later and it's all Mr. Perfect and you don't know the process and the evolution that that horse went through to get to Mr. Perfect, um, you're going to miss out on a lot. So I, I would try to watch the process as much as possible. And some trainers will allow you to actually start working with the horse or riding the horse during the training process. So that's something you want to understand if if the trainer allows that or, in fact, encourages that. Or maybe they say, nope, nope, I don't want anyone touching this horse or riding this horse but me during this time. And that's fine, too. I think that's there's nothing wrong with that if that's the way they do things. Also, I want to ask that trainer about follow-up support once I've taken the horse home. What about bringing the horse back uh, subsequently for touch-up training? Is this going to be a long-term commitment or a one-off sort of situation with this trainer? And then finally, we want to get an understanding of how that trainer uh, wants you to prepare the horse for coming to the training facility Does he need a vet exam first? Does he need shoes on? Um, Do they prefer that you don't do that ahead of time? Do they want you to handle the horse or not? A lot of trainers, myself included, I'd rather you do less handling of the horse and let me do that. So, uh, but every trainer is going to have their preferences. If it's a finished horse trainer, they might say, look, you've got a young horse. I need the horse to have, you know, this X, Y, Z amount of experience before you bring them to me. Um, I need the horse to be minimally four years of age before we start working them over jumps, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, check in with that trainer on what their requirements are in terms of uh, preparing the horse for training. 
And now for the big question, everybody always wants to know the answer to is how long is this going to take and how much money is going to be involved? Well, I can briefly answer that by saying a lot longer than you think and a lot more money than you think. Um, That's the way training works. I can't tell you exactly how much it's going to cost to put your horse in training where you are because the price varies drastically across the country from location to location. Um, It varies by region. And even, you know, for instance, here within the state of Colorado, um, you know, out here where I live in the rural parts of the state, uh, if you found a facility that boarded horses, the board would probably be relatively cheap, three, four hundred dollars a month. But if you go in the high population areas around Denver and Colorado Springs, just board alone is going to be eight hundred, a thousand dollars a month. So training is the same way. And it, in most regards, the price of training is going to mimic the price of board. And so if you're, in other words, if if boarding is cheap in your location, training is probably going to be cheap too. If board is expensive, training is going to be more expensive. Um, that's just the way it goes. So basically, uh, and one thing you want to know right away is when you ask a horse trainer about their fees, make sure you're clear on whether or not that includes the horse's board. Because um, often when trainers work out of a boarding facility, the board is built differently from the training. In other words, the, the boarding facility might bill you for the boarding and the trainer for the training services. But if you take that same horse to a horse trainer's facility, they generally combine board and training into one bill. And they don't often do boarding on the side. So it's a different type pricing structure. So ask whether or not board is included in the price of training. In some situations, you may be able to put a horse in part-time training where the horse is only ridden two, three days a week. That's more likely to be at a boarding facility where a trainer happens to work out of. Trainers that have their own facility generally are only going to take horses in full-time training. So part-time training is going to require availability from the trainer. And it's really only appropriate, let's say for a horse that was recently in full-time training or a well-trained horse that just needs more maintenance of its training. Let's say the rider can't put much time in or the rider, the horse owner, doesn't have a very high skill level. So we need a trainer to be consistently riding that horse to maintain its level of training. So part-time training is not really appropriate for an untrained horse. And I wouldn't say it's appropriate um, when you're seeking to overcome issues either. That horse needs, uh, you know, full-time focus every day. So the cost per month could range anywhere from $1,000 a month, including board, to several thousand dollars a month. So I doubt you're going to find horse training that includes board for much under $1,000 a month. When I first started out training horses, gosh, 25, 30 years ago, I charged $600 a month, including board. And uh, now I w- I'm not sure I would board a horse for that amount. But um, so the prices are going to vary. And um, But I think $1,000 a month is kind of a good ballpark figure to work from.
Now, obviously, before you settle on a specific trainer, you do want to get a full understanding of the cost involved, how often and how the billing is going to occur, how the payments will be made, and all of that. As far as how long that horse is going to stay in training, obviously, there are many, many variables that are going to impact how quickly a horse's training progresses. Look, horses are lightning quick learners. They learn really fast, (laughs) but it takes time to get them into a routine and a steady response. The age of the horse has a, a huge variability in its trainability. What kind of temperament that horse has? Is he highly reactive? Does he have a high fear level, high anxiety? These horses are going to take a little bit longer to train generally. The skill of the trainer is going to have a lot to do with how quickly the horse progresses. And then a big factor is what kind of previous experiences the horse has had, um, whether they've been good, bad, or none at all. All of those things can have a huge impact on how much time we're talking about in training. In my blog on what to expect or reasonable expectations in horse training, I talked a lot about what kind of time investment you could be looking at. And I used the example of just a basic young horse coming for training. Let's say it's a three-year-old quarter horse. He's halter trained, but he's had limited handling other than routine health maintenance. He's been allowed to grow up frolicking with the other horses and, and just be a young horse and have fun. To me, this would look like the perfect training specimen. He hadn't had too much handling. And uh, it's time for starting the horse under saddle. So let's assume we're sending this horse to a qualified and experienced trainer. Here's what I would reasonably expect to see. After 30 days of training, I would expect that horse to be pretty well settled into a work routine. That includes standing tied, getting groomed, bathing, being saddled, bridled, and ridden at all three gates. He may be just barely being ridden at all three gates. Um, He may still be in the round pen. He is definitely still very, very green. Might still be a little bit squirrely or a lot squirrely. Um, And he may be at the stage where he still requires manual steering and stopping. Look, a super nicely tempered horse that's coming into this program with some high quality handling ahead of time, maybe further along than that, but he's still a very young green horse. After 60 days of training, so that's two months with the trainer, that horse is starting to get a lot steadier in direction and speed. So the rider's getting a lot more control. Uh, The rider is expanding the horse's comfort zone, riding outside the arena, riding maybe a little bit on the trail, both alone and in company. I'm starting to see a little more responsiveness from the horse, starting to develop some power steering and power brakes, a little bit more body control. By 60 days of training, you should be starting to see some real physical changes in the horse's fitness level. He's starting to muscle out, you know, his his, uh, underlines getting slim. He's starting to get a six pack going. He's definitely putting on muscle and fitness. You should be able to start seeing these changes in the horse. After 90 days or three months of training, I, I would expect to be start seeing a horse that's soft and responsive. 
I think that horse should have a greatly expanded comfort zone. Maybe he's riding offside a little bit. Maybe he's being ridden by other riders, starting to learn more about advanced maneuvers like collection and a higher level of body control. We might be starting to think about introducing discipline-specific skills to the horse by now. Um, But keep in mind that at this time, after about three months of training, this horse might be starting to look like he's pretty well trained. But I want you to keep in mind that it's still the trainer that's making this horse look good, that this trainer knows that horse inside out, that horse knows the trainer inside out. The trainer is probably making the horse look a little more advanced than it actually is. In other words, it's probably unlikely that you could get on the horse and get the same result. It's going to take more time before that occurs. So you're just starting to see what a more finished horse is going to look like. After four months of training, by now we're starting to see the horse's finish level potential. He's still probably a far cry from a finished horse but we're starting to see what kind of talent and potential that he has in a given discipline. We are starting to train more advanced skills, but this horse is still lacking a lot of life experience. And if he's young, he may be lacking coordination still and uh, maybe still lacking some fitness, but he's becoming more responsive to cues. He's showing a much higher level of conditioning, fitness, grooming, all of that. It may be time to start introducing this horse to the competitive environment, not by actually entering shows, but by hauling to a few shows without competing. If that's something you're going to ultimately be doing with this horse, we want to just start laying the foundation for that. So it can take six to 12 months to really, truly um, bring a horse to an advanced level of training. I would say in most of the performance disciplines, you're looking at a minimum of 12 months to get to that level of training. And then that horse requires a lot of experience at showing um, still before he's going to, you know, be in the winner's circle every time. So, um, but that, that's how long um, a full 12 months of training really to get a horse to a finish level. Um, And not all horses are going to be able to complete that in one year. Most horses are going to need to mature a little bit more. They're going to need to get some general life experience in between the high-pressure training. Um, So that might be spread out actually over two or three years. Remember, these timeframes that I'm talking about and expectations are really gross generalizations. Um, And these are things that progress that we expect to see over time, but an individual horse could vary greatly one way or the other. Uh, Mistakes and setbacks can happen at any point. Um, Horses, some horses have amazing talent that just comes out and they they just blow away all expectations. And then other horses need more time to develop. They need breaks. They need to go do something different and come back. If the horse has had bad experiences, that will take time to overcome as well. Horses learn skills fast, but that experience and seasoning, the ability to perform those skills fluently in any environment, that can actually take years to develop. Let me share with you a few caveats about horse training. If you're thinking about hiring a trainer 
there's a few Im- important things for you to just take into consideration. First of all, let's talk about whether your horse needs training or already knows too much. And here's what I mean by that. We're talking about remedial training now, or in other words, a horse that has previously performed at a certain level. In other words, he was perfectly well-trained and now he is not performing at that level anymore and or he has developed issues in his training. Maybe it's a spoiled horse that's just been allowed to do whatever he wants and he's made poor choices and uh, the owner's made poor choices and you end up with a horse that just won't do anything you've asked him to do. Or maybe it's a horse that's learned more serious behaviors like ripping the lead rope out of your hand and running away or uh, spooking and bolting when you're riding. There are situations, as I talked about before, in which the horse is easier to fix than the rider. The rider or the owner's contribution to the problem can be quite complicated. And in some instances, the problem may be totally instigated by the person, not the horse. In other words, if the horse, his behavior has deteriorated because he's been spoiled and overindulged and mishandled, a trainer can fix that really fast. In fact, that horse will turn around within a matter of moments, usually with a competent handler. But as soon as you put that horse back with the person who spoiled it and indulged it to begin with, the behavior immediately returns. So that's a a no-win situation for a horse trainer. Also, there are situations wherein a horse has been allowed to act inappropriately. It's been mishandled and it has developed aggressive or dangerous behaviors. And that horse may need to be handled quite sternly in order to correct these dangerous behaviors. And often the very same person that's responsible for the horse acting that way to begin with is going to be the one criticizing the horse trainer for overcorrecting the horse. So that's a situation, again, it's a no-win situation for the horse trainer because they're going to get criticized for fixing the horse that the horse owner broke. And it's going to be risky and dangerous to them physically as well. So it's an area that a lot of horse trainers shy away from. And I think it's something that horse owners should consider and look within and see if, um, you know, how, how much of the problem are you actually responsible for? And then we need to find a plan to correct that, not just retrain the horse. Also, you know, consider whether this horse is broke or broken. When we talk about, we use the old-fashioned term, a broke horse, we mean a horse that's super reliable, easy to ride, does everything you ask him to do, always obedient, walk into any situation. But keep in mind that when horses have been in heavy training, when they have had a daily routine that involves grooming, tacking, bathing, tying, working extensively under saddle, they're ridden hard for five to six days a week, and he seems quite docile, in fact, even seems lazy or seems very push-button, but that's because the horse is in a really highly regimented, heavy work situation. When you get that same horse away from that situation, you might find that once the horse is fully rested, and he's not getting worked daily, 
you might find that he actually has a much higher energy level than you thought, that he's a little bit hotter, a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more challenging than you thought when he was regimented. So don't be fooled by that. Just understand that that's the kind of thing you're going to see with horses in heavy training. So try to keep up that good work with the horse. Also, will a horse work as well for you as it does for the horse trainer? Well, wouldn't that be nice? Um, I think it's unreasonable to think that you would get more from a horse than a professional rider would. Um, That's why you hired a trainer to begin with for their expertise and for their experience riding um, hundreds of different horses. Generally, that professional rider is communicating with the horse at such a subtle level that the owner's not even going to see the trainer doing much. But keep in mind, the horse is going to really know a big difference between a professional and amateur rider. When you pick that horse up for the trainer and you bring it home, it's your job to take the reins from the trainer. It's your job to have done as much homework as you can to try to do the best you can to carry on with the good work the trainer's done. Um, That's going to require you to observe as much as you can, study what the trainer's done, take lessons and follow-up lessons wherever possible. Generally, horses in professional training get a very high level of care. They're not spoiled or indulged. They get handled with a great deal of consistency, but with strict guidelines of behavior. And when a horse transitions from that kind of environment where there are very strict rules of comportment to a lax, unclear, or inconsistently enforced rules, they often notice the difference. And they start wondering, what can I get away with here? They start probing boundaries. Um, Even a a very well-trained horse, in fact, I might argue that the better trained a horse is, the bigger a difference he's going to notice when he gets lax or inconsistent handling. And so that can lead a horse to start probing its boundary. You know, what if I don't do what she asked me to do today? What if I stop at the gate? What if I don't get in the trailer? Um, So be cautious of that happening and try to, you know, make a commitment when you bring that horse home for training that you are going to carry on with the work that's been started on this horse and try to only advance a horse's training and not allow it to regress. Look, sending a horse for professional training is a huge investment of time, of money, and of your trust. And good horse trainers don't just grow on trees. They can't be found everywhere. And they aren't generally advertising or recruiting customers either. It's going to take a lot of scouting to find the right trainer. And you may have to wait until an opening is available for your horse. As I said in my blog, if you're fortunate enough to have a good trainer at your disposal already, you should bake them some cookies and thank your lucky stars. But just like a parent watching a child graduate from high school, seeing your horse grow and develop into a mature, well-trained riding horse is highly rewarding. The hard part is finding the right trainer and letting go of your horse so it can learn in the right environment. And now, it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. 
If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. By the way, we keep all your questions in a queue, dropping off only the ones I've already answered. So even if I've not answered your question yet, I hope to get to it soon, or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast, which I've been known to do. So stay tuned. The first question is from Amanda on Facebook Messenger. She asks, what can I do about a horse that is cold-backed? After balking at the girth and saddle, this horse requires a solid 30 to 40 minute warm-up on the lunge line. Then he will ride like a champ. Without the warm-up, he's a flat-out bronc. Okay, well, good question, Amanda. It's an age-old question, in fact, and just so everybody has a clear understanding, when we talk about a cold-backed horse, it's a term that's been used for, you know, hundreds of years, I suppose, and it refers to that horse that he kind of uh, rounds up his back when you first put the saddle on and tighten the girth or cinch, or he may uh, do more than round his back. He may actually kind of pull back against the lead rope and have a little bit of a panic. Or he may crow hop a little bit when you first trot or first canter. Um, or in an extreme case, like Amanda is mentioning, um, she actually has to warm up that horse on a lunge line. He probably crow hops, crow hops, crow hops, crow hops until he kind of settles into uh, a working rhythm. And by the way, crow hopping occurs when a horse rounds his back and he jumps up into the air off all four feet, going withers first. So he's rounded with his withers being the highest point and he jumps up off the ground with all four feet. And that's crow hopping. And when he adds to that a kicking out, that's actually bucking. And so generally, we're going to see more crow hopping with cold-backed horses, and it seems to be a response to the saddle on their back. Often, cold-backed horses only, only will present these symptoms if they haven't been ridden in a long time or if, say, they have not been cantered in a long time, but if you're cantering that horse daily, you don't get the response. Um, some horses, it, it, by the way, it has nothing to do with disobedience. It has nothing to do with trying to get out of work or bad behavior of any way. It's just an honest um, kind of feeling, a reaction to a feeling that the saddle gives them. And, um, and in almost all cases, the horse warms out of it. So what Amanda describes would be a pretty severe uh, cold back horse, uh, 30, 40 minute warm up is a lot. And we used to kind of believe that just some horses were that way and, and sometimes really good horses are that way and you just kind of work around it as you have been doing. But more and more, we're coming to understand that this is probably a reaction to a physical problem. So um, that has been my um my experience the last few times I've dealt with cold-backed horses, it has turned out they have had a problem with their spine. So the first thing that I have to say, of course, is to have this horse examined by a lameness specialist, a performance horse specialist, preferably one that could x-ray the horse's back. We want to see 
if there um, are any conditions of the spine, like kissing spine or arthritis that could be contributing to the problem. Um, I have known some really high-level equine chiropractors who are also veterinarians who believe that a cold-backed horse is a horse that's out of adjustment and it just needs some chiropractic adjusting. So that's um, another thing to consider. If you have done all of that and the horse is still um, behaving in this way, the only thing I might consider is have you trained have you trained a pattern into the horse? In other words, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Was he was he cold-backed and then that went away, but he still thinks he's supposed to buck on the lunge line? So I might think about if I've done all of that um, physical ruling out and there's no possible saddle fit reason or physical problem in the horse's back, then I would consider mixing up what you do and see if I drastically change this horse's training routine, will the behavior change? In other words, what if I saddle him someplace different? What if I walk him right and then left between uh, every tightening of the cinch? What if I don't put him on the lunge line, but I hand walk him and I disengage him and I move him this way and that way or do some stretches or something like that? So I would see if I could drastically change up the horse's routine in a way that um, caused that to change. So I'm no longer of the opinion that a cold-backed horse is one that's just that way. Um, I think the chances are really good that there's probably something physical going on with this horse. And as he warms out of it, it is because he's getting his alignment better or he's his um, pain sensors are just dulling down to the point where he can manage it. So sometimes when a horse is out of chiropractic adjustment, the pinching pain that they feel is intermittent and it comes at a surprising time. Um, so um, yeah, I think you got to really, really focus on the physical thing here. Our next question comes from Cindy and she says, my horse likes to run, and whenever I ask him to trot, he rushes into the canter instead. How do I keep him in the trot without pulling back on the reins? Well, I think you're probably going to have to pull back on the reins to get the horse back to the trot. But let, let's, let's break this down into um, some smaller parts here. First of all, you're cueing the horse to trot and he's rushing into the canter. Well, I would address the cue to trot. So is he confusing it with the cue to canter? Are you over cueing him to trot? And the reason why I ask this is because when I teach clinics up at the Sea Lazy U Ranch, I'm generally going to have 36 to 40 riders there, and they're all going to be riding ranch horses, and these are horses they've never ridden before. So, this is, so you're riding a horse you do not know. And it amazes me how many people just assume that you have to kick a horse to make them go. And that's certainly not the way we train horses. And if you have to kick your horse to make them go, does not mean every horse is trained that way. And so a lot of times when horses are going too fast, it is simply because the person is over cueing them. And I always like to say when it when it comes to cueing your horse to canter. If you cue your horse to canter and it's as if he was shot out of a cannon, you over him. 
So slow it down, ease the horse into a trot. You might have just a really sensitive forward moving horse. And instead of cueing him or telling him to trot, just think of allowing him to trot. Just think of thinking him into the trot. Don't use any legs at all. Just slightly shift your center of gravity forward and start slowly lifting your body in the trot motion. I would use far, far, far less cue um, before I think about anything else. Now, if the horse rushes into the canter when you cued him to trot, he gave the wrong answer. And so you should clarify that by immediately shortening both reins, sitting back hard on the horse, checking up with the reins until the horse comes back to a, a slower speed, but then immediately release the horse. So that's what we call a check and release, check and release, check and release, not just pulling back on the reins. If you start just pulling back on the reins and holding it, the horse goes faster and faster and faster. So the check and release is really important here. Um, and just one more thing I'll add to the equation, Cindy. Um, a horse a horse should go at the speed dictated by the rider. That's the way we train a good riding horse to respond. You should not have to hold the horse in a speed. Now, you might have miscommunicated with the horse and maybe he thought you wanted him to canter. But if you have asked the horse to trot and he breaks into a canter, that is considered a disobedience and it should be scolded. Um, a well-trained horse continues at the speed you asked him to go without you micromanaging him with a loose rein or riding on contact. So we want to make sure as we are working with our horses and, and setting certain expectations of their behavior, make sure you have the correct expectation, which is that once I ask you to trot, you should remain at a trot until I tell you to either go slower or faster. I should not have to hold you at the trot. I should not expect you to speed up just because I'm not holding the reins tight. Um, so loose reins does not mean go faster. Um, so that speed control is, is really important. And uh, both the horse and the rider need to have the understanding that the rider sets the speed. Well, that's all we have time for today. But thanks for listening. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you. I appreciate all your feedback, your suggestions, and your questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Ride On with Julie Goodnight is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and invite your equestrian friends to join us. If you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. It means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners find the podcast. And don't forget to check out my online memberships to my academy. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. I have a monthly or yearly library membership, which gives you... I have a monthly or yearly library membership, which gives you access to hundreds of videos, full episodes of my TV show, 
audios and articles on the topics you want to know more about. Or you can get online coaching from me with my Interactive Academy membership. I'll help you assess where you and your horse are now so you can move forward with a structured 12-month training plan and personalized coaching from me every step of the way. You can also enroll in my Build Your Confidence with Horses short course. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills, I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings so that more horse lovers, just like you and me, can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe and enjoy the ride.